Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. And welcome to Get Growing. Hi, everybody. Farmer Fred here. Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFredDailyGardenTips. Lots of snark. And, of course, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where there is always a garden dialogue going on. Today on Get Growing, we talk and get some tips from master gardeners on how to grow garlic. Also, we pay a visit to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center Water Efficient Landscape and find out what's in bloom this time of year. Speaking of what's in bloom, we'll also talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum and Julia Oldfield out at Big Oak Nursery has some tips for us on growing cool season flowers and vegetables. All of that on today's edition of Get Growing. All right, let's run down what's happening in the way of garden activities for the coming week. Going on today, Sunday, October 22nd from 10 to 4 at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard here in Sacramento. It's the Bonsai Show. The Capital City Bonsai Association presents Bonsai and Suseikis. They'll have vendors, member sales, an auction, raffle, demonstrations, and displays. The event is free. If you're interested in the art of plant miniaturization, then you do want to check this out going on today at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, also known as the Sacramento Garden and Art Center, in McKinley Park, across the street from the tennis courts, 3330 McKinley Boulevard in Sacramento. Maybe you want to do a little pumpkin hunting today, take the kids or the grandkids. There's a lot of Sacramento County Farm Bureau members who have pumpkin patches in the area. There's the Romer Pumpkin Patch at 6851 Hedge Avenue here in Sacramento. They have a corn maze, hay rides, hay maze, and 13 acres of pumpkins. And they're open today from 9 to 5 there on Hedge Avenue. Perry's Pumpkin Farm at 3101 El Centro Road in North Tatomas has a corn maze and hay rides and free admission to the pumpkin patch. It's going on from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. seven days a week. The Basteo Farms Goblin Gardens on El Centro Road, 3845 El Centro Road in North Natomas, has train rides, corn mazes, pony rides, hay pyramid, a haunted house, and a pumpkin launcher. What's that? You'll have to see it to believe it. Stand back. That's going on 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. It's seven days a week. The Basteo Farms Goblin Gardens there at 3845 El Centro Road. Out in Slewhouse at Davis Ranch on Jackson Road, they've got a corn maze, weekend tractor rides, and, of course, picking your own pumpkins. And they're open seven days a week from 6.30 in the morning to 5.30 in the late afternoon. Over in Cortland, Steamboat Acres has a pumpkin patch at 15989 Sutter Island Road in Cortland, down in the Delta. They also have fresh farm honey, farm tours, hay rides, a hay pyramid, a bounce house, and a farm barbecue on the weekends. And that goes on from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then at the Delta Farmers Market at 2510 State Highway 12, they have pumpkins of all shapes and sizes grown by Farm Bureau members. They have barbecues on Sunday, live music, and fresh pear and apple pies. 9 a.m. to 5 o'clock at the Delta Farmers Market. They're on State Highway 12 near Isleton. 
going on this Thursday, October 26th at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center on McKinley Boulevard. It's the Perennial Plant Club meeting, and they'll have floral designer Mary Costaneda, who will be demonstrating methods of making succulent arrangements. That's part of the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club meeting. Everyone is welcome. It is free at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard in Sacramento this coming Thursday at 7 p.m. Over at the Old City Cemetery here in Sacramento, this coming Saturday at 10 a.m., October the 28th, they have a What's Blooming tour. It's part of the Hamilton Square Gardens there at the Old City Cemetery at 1000 Broadway in Sacramento. More information about that at the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club.org website. Happening next Saturday up in the foothills, many foothill residents are lucky to have beautiful trees on their property, but they're unsure how to properly care for those towering treasures. Well, from 9 a.m. to noon, the Master Gardeners of Amador County will be at the Cooperative Extension office to uh, help you out there and how to take care of those trees. They'll provide useful, timely information on selection, planting, and care of larger landscape trees. It's called Majestic Trees of the Foothills. Again, it's next Saturday, October 28th, 9 to noon. Handouts will be available. The class is free and open to the public. Reservations are not required. It's held in Jackson at the GSA building, which is located at 12200 Airport Road. And if you want more information about that, you can call them at 209-223-6838. Over in Napa County, the Master Gardeners have a public workshop called Toxic and Carnivorous Plants and Mushroom Kits. This workshop will be held next Saturday from 9.30 until 11.30 at the Cooperative Extension Meeting Room at 1710 Soskill Avenue in Napa. Registration is required. Space is limited. There is a charge of $5 per person. For more information, call the Cooperative Extension Office in Napa at 707-253-4221. There's a great workshop coming up on November 2nd called the New Backyard Orchard. It'll be held in El Dorado County in Cameron Park. And we have more details about that coming up a little bit later in this program. Hey, maybe you want a gardening guide and calendar, maybe not just for yourself, but maybe for your friends and relatives as holiday gifts. There is a great gardening guide and calendar put out by the Master Gardeners of Placer County for foothill dwellers, and there's one for valley dwellers put out by the Sacramento County Master Gardeners. Up in Placer County, you can find their gardening guide and calendar at the various events that uh, they are at, including the Mountain Mandarin Festival, November 17th through the 19th, and you can find them at the Farmer's Market at the Fountains in Roseville every Tuesday through October as well. In Sacramento, you can find the Sacramento County Gardening Guide and Calendar online at the Sacramento County Master Gardener website. Just do a search for Sacramento County Master Gardener, and that website will pop right up. You can get more information about their 2018 Gardening Guide and Calendar, which is available for only $10. And you can even get more information by calling them at 916-875-6913. Or check out the Sacramento County Master Gardener Facebook page for more information as well. And if you're looking for farm-fresh produce, you might want to head to the granddaddy of all the farmer's markets. It's the Sacramento Farmer's Market, which is held every Sunday, 8 a.m. to noon, underneath the freeway, underneath the WX Freeway at 8th and W Streets. Not only are you going to find fresh fruits and vegetables, but also meats, fish, fresh flowers, bakery goods, and a lot more. It's the Sacramento Farmer's Market. It's year-round. It's every Sunday beneath the freeway at 8th and W Streets in Sacramento.
When we come back, Master Gardener Dan Vieira has tips for us on growing great garlic in our area. Coming up as Get Growing continues here on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We're at the Ferro Horticulture Center in October, and there are a lot of things you can do in the garden. It's not a time to stay inside and watch football. If you're a vegetable fan, there are a lot of great cool season vegetables that you can plant now for harvest, as well as putting in plants may not be ready until next late spring or summer, and now's the time to get busy with those. We're talking with Dan Vieira here at the Ferro Horticulture Center, Master Gardener. And Dan, you've got this nice barrel filled with uh, soil, and it looks like you're ready to plant something. What are you going to plant? Yeah, we're going to do garlic today, Fred. And uh, you're right, uh, garlic is a pregnancy, basically. It takes nine months to, to from the time you plant it to maturity. So you have to plan ahead, and if you're going to get it in the ground, uh, don't wait too much longer. We've already planted most of our garlic out here but today we were going to plant uh, I had two leftover heads from garlic I had planted at my home so we're going to plant them in half wine barrels and uh, show the public how to do that. Well let's get very specific on that you're not going to plant heads I bet I bet you're going to plant cloves. Been there done that. Yeah we have we have two heads of garlic but we will split them up into cloves and uh, pick the largest cloves and we'll plant them in these barrels these two barrels are in front of us. Is it still true you plant them fat side down? You do, yep. Fat side down, pointy end up. And uh, we, you should plant them about, I usually plant mine about an inch below the soil line. So some people go two inches. I just poke my finger down there and drop the hit, or the clove in, excuse me, and uh, away you go. How far apart do you space the, the cloves? Well, in a, in a bed, a standard bed, you would space them about four to five inches apart and the rows about 12 inches apart. In a barrel, uh, I always plant mine a little tighter and it seems to work out just fine. Uh, you just sort of arrange them in there and try to get as many as you can uh, without crowding them too much. Any sort of uh, pre-plant conditioning uh, for those cloves? Do they need any special fertilizer? Uh, well, you they do best with uh, well-drained soil and loose soil. Um, if you plant them in heavy clay and we get like 34 inches of rain, which we got the last rainy season, um, you may have some bulb rot. But in uh, raised beds and barrels, we use uh, regular potting soil, and it's a lot lighter, and they grow much better. Uh, we put a little fertilizer in. We're going to do some Nutri-Rich uh, chicken pe- uh, manure pellets. We'll work that into the, uh, the barrels, and then we'll plant. For those who have never planted garlic before, what is the easiest variety to grow that can take our conditions the best? I like uh, music. That's a good one. And we're going to plant that in one of these barrels. Uh, Spanish Roja is another good one. Uh, There are so many good varieties, um, hundreds of uh, great uh, garlic varieties to to try. Uh, I bought a new one this year called Carpathian. I was going to try that. It got pretty good reviews. So uh, we're going to put Carpathian, which are uh, the music in the Carpathian varieties are both hardneck. There's two types of uh, garlic. There's softneck and hardneck. Uh, The soft neck is the one you can braid into a nice little uh, uh, braiding uh, arrangement, which you see sometimes in the gardening books. And the hard necks, um, I like those a little better. They don't store quite as long, but I like them for flavor. They can be a little spicier. That's a good point in that the soft necks 
do store a little bit longer than the hardnecks. You, you find the hardneck garlics in a lot colder climates, and here in our milder climates, the softnecks seem to do a lot better. The silver skins, the red and chelium uh, have done well for me. And uh, storing garlic, well, what, we, well, we'll get to that eventually. But during the growing season with garlic, what sort of care do they need? Well, initially, they need a little water uh, to start out. Usually in the fall, we have a lot of dry weather, so you're going to have to keep them pretty moist. Uh, later in the year, if we have an average rainfall year, uh, many years I've just let the rain water mine and not even worried about watering them. Uh, I would put some uh, straw mulch down as soon as they start emerging uh, just to keep the weeds down. You don't want garlic to compete with weeds. Uh, that's uh, a recipe for small heads of garlic. So you want to keep it well weeded and mulched. And then uh, you just let it go all winter and, you know, around springtime you roll out there and it's, you know, five or six inches, maybe a little more. And then uh, around uh, three weeks before uh, you get a few uh, leaves dying back on the garlic, that sort of signals it's about ready. So as soon as you get, what I do is I think the first two leaves, once they start turning brown and, and uh, looking discolored, I'll cut water off for about three weeks. And then it should be ready to, to harvest, uh, dig to dig up. But you, what I do is I just sort of take one out and look at it. I cheat a little and uh, carefully. And then if it's not quite ready, the, the cloves aren't uh, separated and, uh, and it doesn't look quite right, I'll put it back in another week. And then, and then I'll try it again. Uh, and you want to cut back water about three weeks before you harvest. Garlic tends to sort of stay there throughout the winter, and then with the first warm weather, it puts on a big spurt of growth. I would think that's the time you may want to put on a fertilizer. Yeah, I side dress mine. Uh, uh, Little skirts and, and tops? Yeah, Top yeah it works well. Yeah, <laughs> yoga pants, Fred. And, uh, yeah, we do a little fertilizer, and that gives them a little extra boost. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do, I do give them a little extra then. Because it is a root crop, does it need to grow full sun? Can you grow garlic in part shade? I've never done part shade, but I've done full sun on mine all the time, so I'm, I couldn't answer that question. I'll let everybody know come next June, because I'm trying it in part shade to see what, what's going to happen. And you mentioned a, a key word. You talked about digging it out. You don't want to pull it out when it's ready after maybe four of those seven leaves have turned brown. No, and you probably don't want to use a shovel, and you want to be kind of careful. You don't want to uh, scar the bulb uh, at all, because it won't store. Uh, just like you would a potato. You just be careful when you, when you harvest. Um, and you dig it up. Yeah, you don't pull it up. Right. Now storing it, you have to let it dry a while, and what sort of environment does it need for that? Well, some people put it in their garages. Um, they'll, they'll dig it up and, uh, and uh, braid it and put it in their garage and just hang it. Um, I put mine under a lemon tree in the shade. You just don't want a lot of heavy sun, full sun on, on your curing garlic. Uh, I usually leave it out for a couple of weeks, and uh, then I, uh, I don't trim it at all. I'll leave the roots on and the stems. And then when you're ready to bring it in the house or wherever you're going to store it once it's cured, then you would sort of, uh, you would take the roots, you can clip the roots off and, and uh, freshen it up a little so you can store it. And it stores for, oh, four or five months in my house. Yeah. So. Put it in shade or maybe cover it with a cloth, a, a shade cloth or something uh, for it to cure. How do you know when it's cured? Um, I, you just sort of know after two or three weeks. It dries out and uh, the wrappers sort of shrink a little. And uh, you just figure about two to three weeks and it's going to cure.
Now, Joanne over here is planting a different form of garlic. That's elephant garlic. No, that, that is actually uh, music, I think. It's a large garlic. Um, it's a hard neck. It looks like elephant. It's one of the better uh, roasting garlics because the cloves are so big. Yeah, those are. Those are elephant garlic size. Huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they're really good if you like to roast your garlic and squeeze it out like butter and put it on some good bread. Um, that's a good variety to use. The music, music garlic. Yeah, music. Right. Very large cloves. Yeah. Wow. Uh, elephant garlic, much the same size. And uh, when that head is complete, garlic with the head of garlic, with elephant garlic, you get maybe three or four cloves per head. With music garlic, how many cloves do you get per head? Uh, eight or ten. Oh, okay. Yeah, you get pretty good on them. They yeah. must be huge heads. Well, no, they are big. They're nice and firm, but uh, you get eight to, eight to ten cloves per head. Garlic, it's easy to grow, and now, October, great time to be planting garlic in your home garden. Give it a try if you've never done it. Dan Vieira, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center and Master Gardener, thanks uh, so much for your time. Good talking with you, Fred. Well, we're entering a new harvest season of cool season vegetables and those vegetables that grew during the summer but aren't quite ready yet. How do you know when your garden vegetables, your cool season garden vegetables, are ready for harvest? Well, let's take a look at some of the more popular ones. How about winter squash? It's uh, sweetest when fully mature. When it's ripe, the rind becomes hard and it's no longer shiny. And use your fingernail as your testing device. If it can be scratched but not punctured, it's a mature winter squash. Cut the squash with pruners but leave a short handle. Let it cure in a warm space for 10 days before storing it in a cool, dry place. Another crop that kind of confuses people this time of year is lettuce. When do you pick lettuce? Well, lettuce, as you probably are well aware, can be planted thickly in a wide row and cut with scissors repeatedly when the tender young greens reach four inches tall. It's actually very tasty that way. Or you can let that lettuce grow until it's fully headed out. Either way, always harvest lettuce before plants start to elongate and bolt, send up a flower stem, and this causes the flavor to become bitter. The same is true with bok choy. If you start seeing flowering on a bok choy, you may want to taste a little bit of it before you serve it for dinner. Beets will tell you when they're ready to be harvested, their shoulders will protrude from the ground. Pull the roots that are small, about an inch and a half, or medium-sized, about three inches, depending on your preference. But don't leave them in the ground too long, especially if we get a warm spell or the texture will suffer. Another plant that is being harvested currently in your garden, chard or kale. They're best when the leaves are young and tender, though the plants themselves need not be young. Harvest the baby leaves for salads, or as the plants become kind of sturdy, you can cut the outer leaves regularly, making sure not to damage the growing tip. Leaves can continually be harvested until frost or well into uh, winter in our areas. Chard is one of those greens that actually does well in our area throughout most of the year. And here's a cool season vegetable growing question from Patrick in Antelope. He wants to know about shallot bulbs. He says he planted them in early September, raised bed in amended soil, gives them regular water about once a week. Still, no shoots have come up yet. Do I have any ideas, he asks. Uh, well, did you plant them correctly, not too deeply? Dig up one to make sure any emerging bud is facing up, not down or sideways. To plant your shallots, you want to be able to separate the multiple bulbs and plant each one individually with the root end down. 
They should be spaced about six inches apart in rows about 10 inches apart. Plant them so that the tip of the bulb is just level with the top of the soil. Each bulb will form a cluster of about five to 10 bulbs around the original bulb that you planted. I always appreciate you listening from wherever you may be, either on Talk 650 KSTE on 650 on the AM dial here in Sacramento or via the iHeartRadio app or streaming at KSTE.com. Better yet, the show is available as a podcast. You can stream it anytime from the iHeartRadio app or KSTE.com. You want to download it and save it for a long trip? You can do that, too. Go to your favorite third-party podcast aggregator, such as iTunes, download it, and take Get Growing with you wherever you may be going. Coming up, we pay a visit to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center's water-efficient landscape and go in search of the October bloomers. That's coming up next on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Hi, everybody. We're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's October, and here at the Water Efficient Landscape, there are a lot of plants in bloom, even though it's October. We're talking with Master Gardener Pat Schink. And Pat, there is a lot of things in bloom here that would look good in people's yards. And if people are looking for grasses that are putting on a show, in mid-fall, this uh, Mendocino reed grass looks great. Yes, right. Um, a lot of folks don't like to plant grasses because they think they look a little weedy and dry in their yards, but there's some really good choices if you come and wander around our garden here. Um, the Mendocino reed grass is a, a low-growing uh, Cal- Northern California coastal native, which re- has done pretty well in our garden. We've planted more of it than um, we started with. We're it's Calamagrosis foliosa, and it's a, um, let's see, how high is it? That looks to be about a foot and a half tall, but the beautiful feather-like structures yeah. on the top just right. look beautiful. Yeah, and they evidently we, uh, doesn't need much maintenance. Some grasses you need to cut back in February, but we just looked this one up, and the, the flower stalks fall off, and they don't need much ex- except if you want to groom them to keep them looking tidy. So Low maintenance. Very low maintenance. Now, what about water requirements for something like this? I notice it, it's sort of on a downward slope in this one bed so it can probably take a little bit more water um it probably can um but most of the plants in this particular area are ultra water efficient landscape here um we're we don't water them as much as uh other parts of our garden which we don't water much to begin with but these plants we planted because we didn't we don't plan on plant watering uh, much in the future and so these seem to be doing well i see a plant over there with beautiful little yellow flowers it's a ground cover let's go look at that yeah yeah so what we have here is called peter's gold carpet and it's uh, low growing looks to be about maybe a foot tall with yellow daisy like flowers and it looks like it could make an excellent ground cover for a sunny area yes yes and we're real happy with the way that this is performed in the summer for us but in some places you might want to treat it as an annual because even though it could be a perennial in um, in some locations here it doesn't hasn't seemed to make it through the winter but um, it spreads rapidly it loves the heat 
and it's um, if you treat it as an annual, it's pretty easy to find in the nurseries in the springtime. The botanical name is Biden's Ferruferu. What is it? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Ferru. Let's try it again. Biden's Ferulifolia. Peter's Gold Carpet. Now, I understand this actually has a very long bloom season. It started blooming in spring. Right, right, right. We're really, like I said, we're really happy with it. This is an area that we don't water all that much in the summertime, and it does really, really well um, through on the hottest days. It's kind of a nice, cheerful thing. In fact, we're thinking about adding more along the walkway next year. Now, I'm looking at another plant here, and I know it has a long bloom season, and the flowers turn color throughout the year. It is a buckwheat. This particular one is red buckwheat, the Ariaganum grande rubicens. Yeah, this is a favorite uh, buckwheat of uh, many of the master gardeners. It has these gorgeous pink blossoms that kind of fade to this um, bronze, um, coppery color. Uh, these are natives, and many, many of these prefer no summer water. Uh, but the blossoms on all of them are just beautiful and the blossoms themselves are on stems that stick out about another foot above what is uh, about a 12 inch ground now, cover. These are a little bit um, more than knee high. Not much but a little bit more than knee high. They look, they're, they're wonderful. They're, uh, if you're interested in natives that are stunning and showstoppers this is a, a good choice. Again it's red buckwheat Ariaganum grande rubicens and it attracts all sorts of beneficial insects too. Of course, of course. Another good reason to plant it. All right what other plants do you like here? Let's take a walk. Well, I like this um, this um, blonde ambition blue grandma grass. This is another native. Um, this is a hybrid blonde ambition. I, it's a little more spectacular than just the plain blue grandma grass. Sometimes people call it eyelash grass because the the fluoresc inflorescence, the flowers. Um, kind of look like eyelashes. And here in October, it's in full bloom with these eyelash-like flowers on the end of uh, the grasses. And the grass itself gets maybe a foot and a half yeah. tall. And the uh, flowers themselves, the inflorescence, as you would say, is about brings up total plant up to about waist high. Right, right, about hip, waist high. Um, and, and as we're standing here, it's starting to warm up, and you can see there's bees starting to, to buzz around the, the flowers, so that's nice, too. These are really easy care. All you have to do is, in February, um, cut them down as close to the ground as you can to renew the growth before the, the spring growth starts. And again, this is blue grandma grass. The blonde ambition is the variety, and uh, the uh, botanical name is you want to tackle this one, Pat? Budalua. Budalua gracilis. Budalua gracilis. Okay. All right. What else is in bloom in October here in the water-efficient landscape at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center? Some nice fall color for people. I mean, there, there are some with persistent flowers on them that have their own character to them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like uh, this. What is that a salvia there? No, that's a lion. That's lion's tail. Oh, let's um, go over there and look at that. Yeah, it's all bloomed out, but it has this wonderful flower stalk that would make look great in a, a fall flower arrangement. Um, this is Leonidas <laughs> leonarius, named after lion's tail. It has um, is very very water efficient. It does like um, sun and it likes good drainage, and it and the varieties can get pretty big if you uh, plant it where it's happy. 
but this is another plant that you can cut back in the winter time um, to kind of control its size but that's all you need to do as these wonderful orange blossoms yeah describe those blossoms they're um, unique it, it is like you would say a lion's tail right right it's kind of spiky and and but they're in a whorl they're in a whirl and let's see forget um and then we're one whirl on top of another whirl on top of another whirl and the flower um, blooms from the tip up and so as the the flower stalk grows uh then um the the dried seed heads below the uh, green tip turn brown and um, are quite attractive also. They're kind of whirls around the stem too. This particular specimen is about three and a half feet tall and uh, does it spread? You, you gave an indication that if uh, it's happy it would. Well, yeah, it can get big. It, it spreads, it widens and grows outward and upward. Um, as you can see up here. Yeah, this fence, which you can hear is next to the parking lot, is uh, just a beautiful specimen of lion's tails. It's a, it's a, how many plants originally were put in here? I think, I think three. And the, and the intent was to kind of cover the fence and hide the parking lot, but um, they're doing quite well here. Yeah, it's an area about eight by eight, and, and these are easily five and a half feet tall. Yeah, and I think we planted these two and a half years ago. So they, they're they're settled, and they're just growing like crazy, as you can see. Does better in full sun? Yes, 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 yes. And and good drainage. A lot All these plants out here, that's why we have a lot of mounds, is to improve the drainage. And so the, a lot of water-efficient plants like good drainage. You know, If you don't have good drainage, just mound them up and they like full sun. A lot of plants with October interest here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Come on out and take a walk through here and you're gonna see some great yeah. plants. We're out of time. Good, good. <laughs> you want Pat, thank you. But you're welcome. Pat Shank, Master Gardener. <laughs> Coming up in a few minutes, we'll be talking with Linda Chalker-Scott from Washington State University. In the weeks ahead, some good guests coming up next week. It's horticultural consultant, Debbie Flower. And the week after that, Brad Gay from JB's Power Equipment and Davis will be here giving us the lowdown on fall power tool care. And November 5th will be the 25th anniversary show for Get Growing. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. My next guest has been on the program before. She has written several books, including a couple of my favorites, The Informed Gardener and The Informed Gardener Blooms Again. She has a Ph.D. in horticulture from Oregon State University. She is Washington State University's Extension Urban Horticulturist and an associate professor in the Department of Horticulture. And she has the thankless job of overseeing the Facebook page, The Garden Professor's Blog. Uh, you talk about answering tough garden questions. She gets them all. Linda Chalker-Scott, a pleasure to talk to you and about your new book, How Plants Work. Fred, it's great to be back on your show again. Well, let's, let's start with the, the Facebook page, which, which I find painful <laughs> because I'm, I'm just glad I don't get those questions on the air because some people are asking some very tough questions on your Facebook page, the Garden Professor's blog, but you have some help in that. I do. Um, there's 
it started out with just four of us, and we've expanded. We've about doubled the number of um, garden professors that administrate this now. And the nice thing is, is that with uh, over 3,000 members, um, we've got a lot of expertise out there. And when when I when something comes up about tomatoes, and I'm not a tomato grower, somebody else who is in a tomato researcher, they'll jump right in there. So it's a wonderful resource for people that want science-based gardening information. And that is the key of for all of your information in this book, How Plants Work, as well as your previous books. Show me the science. Exactly. And let, let, let's take an example. Uh, there's a lot of homegrown remedies for weed controls, uh, one of which is vinegar. And even though it is an organic product, uh, vinegar can be quite hazardous to your own health. Absolutely. Um, the stuff that you get at the grocery store, the vinegar in a bottle, isn't really concentrated enough to do much damage to plants. I mean, sure, it might make the leaves wrinkle up a little bit, but it won't do a thing to the roots. Um, you have to really get that uh, horticultural acetic acid, which is much more concentrated than vinegar. And yeah, it's 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 pretty bad stuff. Um, you know, you get your face over a bottle of that, and you can singe your singe your nose hairs and hurt your eyes. And I believe vinegar is only a top kill product. Besides, yeah, that's right. It, it really has absolutely no effect on on weeds with pernicious roots. And boy, I think most weeds have that, and that's why they're weeds. Well, let's talk about roots, and that is a, a fascinating chapter in your book, How Plants Work. It's called The Underground Railroad, and I thought that was a very apt description because there's a lot of movement going around uh, in the middle of the night that we can't see and during the day as well, but it is so vital to the health of our plants, and it's, and it's not just roots. Yeah, um, and it, it's funny because I'll have to backtrack a little bit here. When I was in grad school, I avoided root classes like the plague because roots are so darn hard to, to study. Um, as soon as you start digging them up and exposing them to light, you know, they're not going to function the same way anymore. But the nice part is, is that other people with much more patience than me have done a lot of research. We now know that plant roots aren't just these little isolated um, hairs down there underground. They're connected uh, to one another and to other organisms, um, primarily by fungal hyphae that just kind of act as these uh, little um, uh, highway interchanges, as it were, to, to take uh, nutrients and other compounds and move them all through the soil system. It's rather amazing uh, how water plays a big part in that movement as well. Yeah, um, if you don't have a, a well-hydrated soil or if you don't have enough oxygen, in other words, you don't have a nice porous soil with moisture and with oxygen, the whole system shuts down. You know, you can kind of compare it to a traffic jam. Nothing moves. It is um, so necessary, yet it is probably the one component of gardening that most people get wrong. Plants are either overwatered or underwatered. And here in California with the drought, there is a lot of concern about watering. And a lot of people make the mistake of, okay, they're switching from sprinklers to drip irrigation. Well, good for you. But then they go and they place that emitter next to the tree trunk. And in that underground railroad system, where would the water be better absorbed? Well, if you think about root systems as a big pancake, which is what they really are um, in an uninterrupted soil, you know, you wouldn't have the water out away away from the trunk, um, preferably even away from the drip line, because uh, most of the feeder roots, you know, those little fine root hairs uh, or roots with root hairs are taking up uh, water and nutrients far away from the trunk. And that's where you need to really be putting the, the resources, because that's where you've got the active root growth. 
And we both know and are both big fans of mulch. It can certainly help in a drought for conserving soil moisture. I like to tell people what the Sacramento Tree Foundation advises as far as uh, when you mulch a tree, use the 444 rule of four inches thick of of a coarse mulch like bark keep it four inches away from the trunk of the tree and have it extend four feet beyond the canopy of the tree but i know that y- you like lots more mulch than that <laughs> i do um and you have to be cautious uh you know the, the to when you're when you're doing it the way that i do it that you're using pretty coarse chunky stuff um the coarse chunky mulch has really great uh, ability to to let water and, and uh oxygen move through it. So you can use four, six, eight, 10, 18 inches of, of wood chips, for instance, to help suppress weeds and keep soil moist. And I've, I've done this before, um, and there is a lot of research behind it as well, that that just uh, improves water holding capacity and moderates temperature and, and, and established trees and shrubs just absolutely love it. And it keeps the weeds down. Well, when I win the California lottery, I'll be sure to add 18 inches worth of mulch around my trees. <laughs> Because at, I know. what is it, $30, $35 a cubic yard? Well, that's that's a lot of mulch when you're talking 18 inches deep. It is, unless you get the, the, and I don't know if it's free down where you are, but, you know, Arborist wood chips up here are either cheap or free, and that's one of the very best coarse woody mulches you can get. Well, that brings up a, a very good question because a lot of people are in that habit. If they see tree trimming work going on in their neighborhood, they might uh, bribe the tree trimmers with a six-pack or whatever to get that load of chipped tree material for their own yard. But are you importing somebody else's problems? You know, you probably are, but you have to kind of take that with a grain of salt. So let's say that your your neighbor or someone has had a, a tree chipped up that maybe um, had some kind of rot issue or some kind of disease issue. You have to realize that that wood, even though it most definitely has uh, that, that disease in it, those spores are everywhere. So... You know, it, it doesn't really make any difference if you use that as a mulch or not, as long as you don't make the mistake of digging it in. Because once you dig that disease material into the root zone and start injuring roots, as you will, with a shovel, um, then you've opened, the, opened them wide to, to infections. Um, but just using it as a mulch, you know, your soil already has all those pathogens in it. They're just not active because hopefully you've got, you know, very good, healthy soil conditions, well-drained and lots of oxygen. There has been a story floating around for years and years where some people advise, oh, whatever you do, don't put mulch, don't dig mulch into the soil because it'll tie up nitrogen. True or false? If you dig it in, it's absolutely true because um, uh, woody mulch has, you know, it's brown. So if you're thinking about compost and brown materials, it doesn't have a very good, uh, uh, good C, C to N ratio. So putting it into the soil, the microbes start breaking it down. They need nitrogen to do that. They start stripping it out of the soil. But on the top of the soil, it doesn't have that impact in the soil itself. So um, the microbes are breaking it down, and the, the soil interface where the mulch touches might have that um, deficiency. But just go a centimeter below that, and the nitrogen is exactly the same as it would be if you had no mulch. There are some proponents, uh, unlike Washington State, uh, the soils here in California tend to be neutral to alkaline. And if people want to grow southern highbush blueberries here, they need a a fairly acidic mix, something perhaps around a 5.5 pH. And one popular mix that a lot of growers advise is one-third peat moss or core, one-third azalea rhododendron camellia soil, and one-third of pathway bark, small bark. In a, in a mix together and plant your blueberries in that. Would that tie up nitrogen? 
Probably not, because I think when they use that bark that you mentioned, um, it's composted. And the interesting thing about uh, wood, you know, wood chip mulch or bark mulch is that when it's fresh, um, you know, it will tie up nitrogen if it's incorporated. But once it's composted, it has a very good carbon to nitrogen ratio. So you can go ahead and use it as either a mulch or an amendment. It won't cause a problem with your nitrogen. Linda Jocker-Scott, author of the book, How Plants Work, The Science Behind the Amazing Things That Plants Do. Linda, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Hey, Fred, it was really fun to talk to you again. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE, KSTE KSTE.com, and the iHeartRadio app. Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. The wise and the highly caffeinated among you have probably already figured out, hey, this is a recording. Yes, it is. I'm taking a weekend off, but we have all sorts of great new information for you on today's program. No Garden Grappler today, but the Garden Grappler will return next Sunday at its usual time here on Get Growing. Meanwhile, Thursday, November 2nd, in Cameron Park. It's a great workshop called the New Backyard Orchard, put on by the El Dorado County Master Gardeners. There will be experts there to tell you all about how to grow fruit trees in your backyard. We're talking with Gail Fulbeck. She's a Master Gardener up in El Dorado County. And Gail, this is um, not little a one-hour chat. This is uh, almost an all-day workshop, isn't it? Yes, it is. It goes from 10.30 until 4 o'clock. Three esteemed speakers. One of them is Ted DeYoung. We're very pleased to to have Ted. He's recently retired from UC Davis. He's a professor emeritus uh, with a huge body of publications, which are a result of his 30-plus years of research and experience in the field. And he'll be talking about healthy bud formation, pollination, and fruit development, as well as vegetative growth and root growth. Ted is a longtime professor of tree crop pomology out at UC Davis. The biology is very important to know about the tree so that you can make better decisions about how to care for that tree, how to plant that tree, and probably most importantly, how to irrigate that tree. And when it comes to that, you're, you're going to have some very practical nuts and bolts people on that workshop panel as well, and including our pal Phil Purcell from Dave Wilson Nursery. That's true. Phil has over 30 years in the nurse of experience in the nursery business, and uh, he's been helping growers and homeowners plan and maintain their orchards during all that time. His talk is going to concentrate on choosing tree varieties, planting and managing trees for efficient water usage. And Phil uh, lives up in El Dorado County, so he's uh, very wise to local conditions there and give people the right direction when it comes to choosing the correct tree varieties for people who might have a little bit of altitude at their home. That's right. Phil's a local boy. We have him here in El Dorado Hills. We also have our uh, your your guy's uh, favorite farm advisor, Chuck Ingalls. Everybody knows Chuck. He's worked for more than 20 years in the Cooperative Extension. We like to think of him as the Swiss Army knife of farm advisors because of his enormous, enormous depth of knowledge about so many horticultural topics, especially fruit trees. Chuck is the lead technical editor and author of The Home Orchard, uh, Growing Your Own Fruit and Nut Trees, as well as many, many other publications. And Chuck's going to talk about, during this workshop, he'll be talking about training trees in bush form and espalier form 
as well as pests and diseases we might encounter in our, in our trees and least toxic methods of pest management. There are many advantages to keeping your tree small, not the least of which is being able to net the tree and protect it from vertebrate pests such as birds and squirrels. And when it comes to citrus trees, uh, protecting uh, trees from frost with frost cloths, if that tree is of a more manageable height, it's much easier to throw that frost cloth over the tree when a frost is predicted. Yep, that's very true. All right, so you're going to have three outstanding speakers there on Thursday, November 2nd, talking about fruit trees. Will, Will it include nut trees as well? Yes, nut trees are also included. Each speaker will be allowing time for Q&A, which is always a real interesting part of the talk. Again, it's called the New Backyard Orchard. It's going to be Thursday, November 2nd at the Cameron Park Community Center, which is on Country Club Drive next to the Cameron Park Library. Now, this is not a free event because it does go on from 1030 to 4, but uh, there is a light lunch included and, and probably there will probably be some good handouts, too. There will be handouts. There will be, as you said, light lunch. Uh, we'll have some local fruits and some other goodies. Uh, we'll have some books for sale. The Home Orchard, Growing Your Own Fruit and Nut Trees that you just mentioned, Fred, that'll be for sale there, as well as the Master Gardener Handbook. Oh, that's a good one, too. And yeah. the, the fee is $40, and I know you're asking for pre-registration, and I guess the easiest way to get more information about this is to go uh, online and do an Internet search uh, using the words, The New Backyard Orchard. Workshop. We're, okay, The New Backyard Orchard Workshop. That should bring you right to the site, the El Dorado County Master Gardener. All right. And again, it's Thursday, November 2nd. It's $40, but well worth it for all that you're going to learn. Uh, in the minute or so we have left, I, I know that you field a lot of questions from Foothill Gardeners about fruit trees. And what are some of the usual questions you get? You know, people have a lot of questions about growing fruit trees. We have questions about timing and just the nuts and bolts, like we were talking about before, when to plant your fruit trees, how to plant your fruit trees, when to prune, how to prune. Um, we have questions about crop failures that range from failure to flower, failure to set fruit, poor quality fruit. Why is my fruit bitter? Why is my fruit small? And why is my fruit deformed? Sometimes fruit rots before it ripens or it just goes missing. And hopefully you have a real good relationship with your neighbors so you can't blame them. But you might want to blame the squirrels. Um, pest management questions. We have uh, scale, aphids being farmed by ants. Uh, coddling moth is another common one. Um, and then diseases. There are bacterial and fungal diseases, cankers, fire blight. So we get uh, a big range of questions. Many of this will be covered in the new Backyard Orchard Workshop as well. And perhaps there might even be a question there. People may wonder how to protect their fruit trees from deer. Oh, well, that's easy, Fred. Got to have that fence. <laughs> have that fence. Yes, that eight-foot <laughs> that eight <foot> fence. <laughs> <laughs> now, you you can do yourself an espalier or, or a small, uh, as we were talking about, a small bush shape. And uh, in that case, you can... Put a net up over there and, the, and at least challenge the deer, if not completely exclude them. It's the new Backyard Orchard Workshop. It's Thursday, November 2nd, 1030 to 4 at the Cameron Park Community Center. It's a $40 workshop that includes workshop materials and a light lunch. The Cameron Park Community Center is on Country Club Drive next to the Cameron Park Library. And for more information, again, do an Internet search on the term 
the new Backyard Orchard Workshop. Gail Fulbeck, Eldorado County Master Gardener, thanks for a few minutes of your time and telling us about fruit trees and the new workshop coming up. Thanks, Fred. Great to talk to you. When we come back, we talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum. Find out what's in bloom in October out there. Also, a little bit later on, we get the lowdown on planting cool season flowers and cool season vegetables. All coming up here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. It's October. Wow, there's a lot of color out there. Despite the cooler temperatures and the shorter days, some plants are starting to put on a show right now. And who better to talk to about what's in bloom right now or what's putting on a show, especially at the UC Davis Arboretum, than their superintendent emeritus, Warren Roberts. And Warren, happy October to you. Happy October to you, Fred. So what is going on at the Arboretum? There's a lot of color now, and even a few things starting to uh, show a little bit of fall color. But, um, you know, that that really hasn't gotten gotten started to the spectacular stage yet. But uh, the most uh, spectacular tree uh, in in full bloom right now is the Formosa flame tree, Colotera elegans. We have uh, see, we have about three of them in the Arboretum. There's others around uh, town in Davis, too. And right now it's a cloud of pure yellow flowers. Absolutely gorgeous. And in about a month, instead of being covered with yellow flowers, it'll be covered with magenta, coral magenta balloon, the pod. It's my favorite shade tree, really. And it's, um, it's not probably for the, uh, the, the area where you get a lot of snow. It's, Slightly, uh, a little bit, a little bit tender, but in our climate here in the in the valley, it it uh, is really a good tree. All right, the Formosan flame tree. So check it out there at the uh, arboretum. What else is happening? Right. Well, the Bupurum fruticosum still looks good. That's the uh, shrubby hair's ear. Um, it looks kind of like a, a cross between oleander and dill, I guess, with a yellow flower head. It's a really useful plant. Um, I, I can't say enough good about it, really. It needs no maintenance at all, in, unless it needs a little pruning. Um, the uh, Serratostigma lomadianum, the Chinese plumbago, with its brilliant blue flowers. Oh, gosh. It's just a stunning plant. Calilophus hartwegi variety fendleri. <laughs> it's a mouthful. But it's a beautiful plant. It's called sundrops. And um, it's a tough perennial or full sun, bright yellow flowers. The uh, Chilopsis linearis, the desert willow, is still looking beautiful. The uh, selected forms are the ones to go for. You can look it up in Sunset Western Garden Books to get the colorful forms that don't have seed pods. But they look a tree looks like a willow tree full of orchids, really. Quite nice. The um, California fuchsia, Epilobium canum, different varieties of that. That's one of the most spectacular of all California um, herb, herbaceous perennials. Well, I guess California poppy would be too. But the California fuchsia, a beautiful thing. And, and hummingbirds love it. doesn't need much water either. Is that the there, ground cover version? Well, there are ground cover versions. In fact, you could think of them that, oh, that way in the broad sense. 
uh, since they do, um, their, how should I put it? They're uh, um, enthusiastic growers. <laughs> Uh, there are lower growing uh, forms like Everett's Choice, for example, but most of them are about a foot to uh, maybe some two feet tall. Erythrina hybrid Bidwelli is still gorgeous right now. The, the red flowers are magnificent. It's a it's a legume. Um, I guess it's a, uh, a herbaceous coral tree would be the way to describe it. Uh, it's kind of gangly. And it does have uh, hooked thorns on it, but the flowers, these long, long um, stalks of flower, red flowers, is certainly the reddest thing in the arboretum right now. Um, <clears throat> the uh, Muhlenbergia capillaris are looking beautiful, like clouds of pink seed heads. And there's a Muhlenbergia revertonii undaunted, which is the most spectacular of the lot. Uh, like puffs of purple smoke, really. And we should point out to people, this is also known as deer grass. Well, there's Melimbergia rigens, which is your your deer grass. This is this is a, a form that has a more um, delicate uh, cloud-like infor- inflorescence. I guess uh, they were popular in Arizona, starting about ten years ago in in the Phoenix area. Now we're starting to grow them in California. So it doesn't. Ha- What's that? It doesn't have a common name. Uh, not that I no, I probably does. I just uh, didn't look it up. Oh gosh, I don't know what it is. What the common name? You ever have that happen where you can't remember something? Every Sunday. <laughs> Every. Oh goodness. So the those grasses are gorgeous right now. Hey, I found some information out about that Muhlenbergia. Oh good. You said it was the Muhlenbergia capillaris. Mm-hmm. Uh, sunset refers to it as pink muley. Pink muley. Oh, that's a good name. Pink muley. And so uh, muley being a sh- being short for Muhlenbergia. Right, and, as opposed uh, to being like a jackass. <laughs> so, but people put it in the garden, you get a kick out of it. Anyway. There you go. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, the oleander is still looking good. That's certainly some of them uh, still in spectacular bloom. We have a big prickly pear that's full of red fruit. And that's, I would put that in the very showy category. Plumbago capensis, our regular plumbago, the white one in the um, white flower garden, looks like, uh, uh, kind of looks like a snowbank right now. If you let uh, plumbago grow, it will grow um, uh, 20 feet up into a tree. I saw one on campus recently. Uh, then there's the blue forms, the sky blue forms as well. Penicetum cetacean is one of the uh, feather grasses. Gosh, just an abundance of, of fluffy seed heads. Looks very nice. Prunus, I went by a prunus solicifolia today, a holly leaf cherry, and it was full of red fruit. That There's one right near a main road in the arboretum. Wow, it's one of those that made me go, <laughs> so that, that's what I use to, uh, to categorize whether, whether plants are showy or not. The roses, gosh, roses are still looking good. Um, you know, the, the Chinese ancestry to most uh, rose hybrid uh, means that uh, you can have roses all year in our climate, but uh, it's they're they're thinking it's spring again. Um, the <clears throat> there are some uh, uh, Michael Mistazies still in bloom. The Michael Mistazies look excellent right now, and you'd think that would be under aster, but the new gen- generic name is Symphiotricon, which is kind of an awkward name, but that's that's what it is. 
the Michaelmas daisies the, and the New England asters, the New England daisies, are um, a real mainstay for the late summer and fall garden. Brachelia formosissima is a um, bulb from Mexico. It's, um, I think it's called the St. James lily sometimes, uh, but it's, um, the flowers are, are great big, look like great big red orchids. The, the flower and its stalk are about uh, eight, 10 inches tall. It's a plant for full sun, and it's not really a cut flower because the flower, although it's spectacular, only lasts about three days. But the plant keeps putting up new ones. And its common name again is St. James Lily. St. James Lily, because the flower looks vaguely like the cross of St. James. Mm. Um, but it's uh, a great one of the great fall blooming bulbs. The um, Salvia regi, Salvia hemensis, these are the autumn sages. They're looking good now, too, of course. The Bergia lutea looks like a um, crocus, yellow flowers, um, and a very dependable fall-blooming plant. Tacoma stands and its hybrids, yellow bells, are, is a shrub slightly tender but worth growing, um, especially Tacoma stands itself. Trichostema lanatum, woolly blue curls, is a California native for very well-drained soil in in the in the sun, and the it has. Oh my goodness! The, the flowers are made look like they're made out of velvet. It's so beautiful and purple and blue. On the south side of the uh, nursery, we have a patch of zinnias in full bloom. So, if you look around the back back side of the nursery, you'll find a nice surprise. All right. And that that's A to Z. Well, B to Z anyway. Well, that's a a, what's showing color. What's plants of interest in October at the UC Davis Arboretum. And we should point out, there is going to be another plant sale at the Arboretum on Saturday, November the 4th, from 9 to 1 o'clock. It's kind of your uh, fall clearance sale. That's our fall clearance sale, and it's at the Arboretum Teaching Nursery, which is near the vet school. All right. Saturday, November 4th, 9 to 1. For more information, you can visit their website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren Roberts, always a pleasure. Thanks for telling us about what's happening at the UC Davis Arboretum. Thank you for the opportunity, Fred. My pleasure. Yes, October, the leaves are beginning to change. The leaves are beginning to fall. And it's that time of year when overeager homeowners and even some ignorant professional tree trimmers do more harm than good by topping trees. Topping is a kind of a senseless practice. It strips a tree of all of its branches, leaving only a trunk with stubby limbs. Probably in our area, it's the fruitless mulberry and the Modesto ash trees that are the biggest victims. And here's a few reasons from the National Arbor Day Foundation why you shouldn't top trees. Topping removes so much of the tree's crown that it temporarily cuts off its food-making ability. Good pruning practices rarely remove more than one-third of the crown. Topping suddenly exposes the tree bark to the sun, and that can result in scalding to the tree trunk and any surrounding and formerly shaded shrubs or lawns. The large stubs that are left after topping exposes the tree to insect or disease invasion. And any new limbs that sprout after removing a larger limb they're going to be more weakly attached. Then when that next wind and rainstorm hits, and it will, those will be the branches that may land on your car or your house. If you're trying to control a tree's height by topping, 
Those new limbs that sprout are going to be more numerous than normal, so the tree returns to its original height in a very short time, and the crown's going to be far denser. And again, storm damage is going to result. A top tree is an ugly tree. It'll never regain its original grace and character, robbing you and your neighbors of a very valuable asset. Topping may be easier and cheaper than applying the skills and judgment necessary involved in good pruning. However, the hidden costs of topping include reduced property value, the expense of tree removal if the tree dies, the risk of liability from weakened branches and the loss of other trees, shrubs, or lawn area if they succumb to that dramatically increased sunlight. If you're interviewing arborists to do the job, have them go over what exactly they're going to do. Make sure they're following good arborist practices. A good place to check for an arborist is the International Society of Arboriculture's website, treesaregood.org. You can enter your zip code and can find arborists for your area that way. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. The days are cooler and shorter, but the soil is still warm. Perfect planting conditions, and you can have a yard full of color throughout the cool season months, through fall, winter, and even into spring. And there's a lot available, and you're going to find a lot of great cool season annuals at Big Oak Nursery in Elk Grove. We're talking with Julia Oldfield of Big Oak Nursery, and Julia... What are some of the more colorful annuals that just thrive in cooler weather that we're going to have? Well, everyone in California in the fall should be planting pansies. Um, they are super easy, bulletproof. They love our drier winters, <laughs> if we have a dry winter. Um, they provide color when you have nothing else in your your yard blooming. Um, there's always those bright you know, colorful pansies, and they come in such a wide array of colors. You just, they're just automatic for me. And pansies have this nice big flower as well that are easily seen from a distance there. The flowers can be what, one inch or two inches across? Yeah, and they're always, one of them's always blooming. So they're they have multiple blooms on the plant, so there's always at least one bloom going. We call it 80 mile per hour color. You can see it when you're driving 80 miles per hour. <laughs> Besides putting these in the ground, pansies and other cool season annuals make for great container plants if you want to decorate your patio a little bit. Yes, fall planting, fall annuals are smaller than your big zinnias and marigolds and summer color. So you can tuck them in to tighter spots. Um they tend to stay small because they don't have the big um, heat growing. Um, they will get bigger in the spring as it gets warmer, but um, through the winter, they stay nice and cute and tight. Now, what about if somebody wants to make up a nice little color pot of, of various cool season annuals? What Give us a sample of what might be in such a container. Well, we like to put a tall, we like to do the thriller, spiller, chiller. Um, so the tall in the middle, we would use like a dianthus or a calendula, which is your winter marigold. They come in yellow or orange. Um, and then we do like a pansy to give you your chiller, your your um, plant that kind of stays in the middle. You can also use kale, which is, we have ornamental kale, so it's not edible, but it's really pretty. It kind of looks like a rose um, type flower um 
shape. And then um, there's also violas with which are pansies but have smaller flowers. And then your filler would be we have wave pansies that hang over the side of your pot so that it would trail. Oh, that's a great idea, including for people with raised beds who may want a little decorative color during the cool season would be uh, to maybe line it with uh, some of those wave pansies. Yeah, and you can also put them in your vegetable garden because they are edible um, and it would make your vegetable garden have color in the winter as well. Well, that's an interesting scenic bypass to take. Let's talk about uh, which of these uh, cool season annuals might have some edibility, if you will. Definitely your violas and your pansies. Um, and you can always decorate your plate, um, you know, adding a flower next to your plate for decoration. Um, the kale, you can grow edible kale. You can grow ornamental kale. Regarding ornamental kale, it, it can be edible if you don't mind bitterness. Uh, but you're, you're right. The green kale uh, has a sweeter, nuttier flavor than ornamental kale. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend eating the ornamental kale. Stick with your your edible kale because kale is pretty bitter anyway and really crunchy, um, kind of tough almost. Um, so that I would imagine the ornamental kale would be even worse. <laughs> now, for for people who want a bit of height uh, to their cool season annuals, what are some of the taller cool season annuals that are available now? Well, my mind immediately goes to your snapdragons. Um, snapdragons are awesome because they bloom in the fall and then they'll go to sleep in December and kind of get a little bit dormant. And then in the springtime, they just go crazy and you'll have them until Memorial Day just popping everywhere. And they there's varieties that get, you know, three feet tall. There's also varieties that are smaller, but they're just they're your wow factor in the garden. Do they need to be deadheaded to rebloom? Um, it does help them. They'll get bushier and they'll um, kind of stand up better, especially the tall ones. They will flop over if they get too top heavy. So you can always um, top that that dead stem off, you know, when they go to seed and then they'll come back even better. One debate in the world of Snapdragon aficionados is whether to buy them when the flowers have opened or when they have not yet opened. Where do you stand on that? Well, my the best way, in my opinion, to plant flowers is when they're green because they're working on their root system when they're green. And then when they start flowering, all their energy goes to their flowers. So when you plant them and they're in full bloom, they're not worried about the root system. They're worried about their energy going to the flower so you're not getting the root system established so i like to plant things green also snapdragons if they're in bloom they tend to be top heavy so they are better to plant when they're green and that way when they do flower they have already established their root system that's a good point to bring up is the fact that if you want taller growing annuals such as snapdragons, which can get three feet tall, what with uh, fall and winter winds, they may require some staking. Yeah, if you get the big giant um, rocket snapdragons, they're called, um, they can definitely fall over and you can you definitely need to get some stakes. Um, the dahlias do that too, the dinner plate dahlias, and um, there's some other things. But um, yeah, you can stake them to keep them up. For gardeners with rather shady areas, are there many blooming cool season annuals that would do well? Um, violas would do better than pansies. Um, also, there are cyclamen that do well either indoors or in shady areas. 
Um, also, your primulas or primroses, they, they like a little bit of shade, too. Um, there's an obconica variety that's different. Um, it actually doesn't need any sun to bloom. Cyclamens come back year after year, don't they? Yes, there are a summer dormant plant. I like to suggest to plant them under a deciduous tree so that in the summertime they get the shade and they're dormant so you don't see anything. They might have a little green leaf, but that's about it. And then in the wintertime, they'll bloom and um, they get the shade from the deciduous tree in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, the sun comes back because the leaves are down and that will provide them enough sun to bloom. They're also nice under hydrangeas. Um, they like the shade in the summertime from the hydrangeas and then the hydrangeas go dormant and the cyclamen will come back in the wintertime when your hydrangeas look awful. <laughs> On a smaller scale for the north side of a house that may get a lot of shade, a container filled with cyclamen in the winter and impatiens in the summer can uh, provide you with just about year-round color because by the time the impatiens are, are done in the wintertime, the cyclamen is already flowering. Yes, they're an easy thing to tuck in and you just leave them there um, during the summer. Don't pull them out to replace them with your spring annuals. Just plant the spring annuals right over the top of them. Now, we don't know if we are in a drought or not. We won't know until the rains start. Are there cool season annuals that can get by on less water than others? Um, during the fall, it's actually the best time to plant annuals um, if we're in a drought because you don't have to water as often the soil retains a lot more moisture. Um, so actually during the drought, we had really successful um, annual beds if they planted them. Um, the pansies are quite drought tolerant. And also there's one called stock. Um, it's a taller, more. it's kind of like a snapdragon that it stands up, um, but it looks different and it smells delicious. Um, and they don't like a lot of water. Um, and then there's always Dusty Miller to add for your kind of your background plant. Um, and they don't need a lot of water. Um, so hopefully we'll get enough rain to water them and you don't have to give them supplemental water. The only time these plants would need supplemental water is right after transplanting and uh, just keep that area moist for a couple of weeks. And then uh, once they get established and put on new growth, you can hope for winter rains. Yes, that's the plan. <laughs> All right. Julia Oldfields with Big Oak Nursery. Tell us uh, where Big Oak is. We are on Grantline Road, um, just really close to 99, about a mile and a half off the freeway. And we are um, we have a big, giant oak tree you look for and a little red shed. And we're right there. All right. Big Oak Nursery, 10071 Grantline Road in Elk Grove. Their website, bigoaknursery.com. Julia Oldfield, Big Oak Nursery. Thanks for telling us about what's going to bloom this fall and winter. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE, KSTE.com, and the iHeartRadio app. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Fall is for planting, there's no question about that, and a great addition to any garden are cool season vegetables and annuals that prefer cooler weather. We're talking with Julia Oldfield from Big Oak Nursery down in Elk Grove, 
And Julia, vegetable growers, backyard vegetable growers shouldn't ignore this time of the year, should they? No, it's a great time to grow vegetables. Um, they're also smaller plants, so you don't have it to deal with as much room. And you can, the weather helps you. The rain will irrigate and the cooler weather will help the plants grow and the soil is warm so the plants will grow faster, um, their roots will establish well. And not only that, because the sun is a bit lower in the horizon, many homeowners may be dealing with more shade in their yard and they might be thinking, well, I need full sun to grow vegetables. But that's not true for a lot of cool season vegetables, is it? Oh, yeah. You can have a full lettuce garden with all kinds of different leafy greens. You could do kales. There's a few things that need full sun, like cauliflower and broccoli and things like that. But you could do a wide variety with just um, a little bit of sun. So basically, if it's a flowering crop like broccoli or cauliflower, it would need more sun. But if you have a shady area in the backyard, you might try some of the leafy greens like you mentioned, the lettuce, the spinach, the Swiss chard, the kale, and uh, mm -hmm. have a very successful garden that way. Another big addition to the home garden for the cool season is an herb garden. What are the best herbs to be putting in the ground this time of year, Julia? If you start early enough, you can get pretty much all the herbs. Um, the only thing you have to worry about is if it freezes. So if you start them in September, October, um, you can get a whole nother crop out of them. I know my herbs tend to look terrible by July, August, um, because they, they've gone through the whole summer in the terrible heat we've had. So I like to start over again and get some um, fresh herbs going um, and uh, interesting enough, cilantro does really well in the fall if it's protected from the frost. It does not like the heavy heat we have in the summer, so the fall is a great time to do cilantro. It doesn't bolt as fast. Also known as coriander, too. It does grow rather quickly, too. It gets, what, about two and a half feet tall? Yeah, if you let it. You're supposed to eat it before then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people have this reluctance or this aversion to cilantro. But one great reason to grow cilantro is to do exactly what you said it's going to do. And that's bolt come May or June, because when those flowers appear on cilantro, very attractive to beneficial insects. Yes, that is true. Um, all the herbs will flower. And um, they're very good for insects, for the beneficial insects. But you would rather eat them before they flower. The leaves are the part that's edible, that's tasty. Now, what about for those that may not have a, a big growing area, but maybe they have a sunny kitchen windowsill? I, I bet there are some herbs they could grow indoors. What would be some examples of that? Well, if you're if you're trimming them often, you can grow um, most of them um, and also leafy greens like arugula is a herb, um, but you put it in your salad. Um, chives are very small and you can trim them off before they get too tall. Um, cilantro, you can keep small if you keep them, you know, if you trim them often. And dill is very light and fluffy. Um, fennel is a little bit too big. It needs a lot of soil space. Um, and then we have some sages. Uh, those, uh, if you keep them small, um, keep trimming them, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, and then are um, there's smaller ones that you can get. There's also big giant basils, but um, try to get the smaller varieties. What about thyme and tarragon, two very commonly used kitchen herbs? Um, thyme would work in a kitchen window. Um, tarragon gets a little bit big, 
Um, but you could you could keep it small. You know, you'd have to kind of watch it. All right. Let's talk about some of the uh, edible vegetables you can grow outside during the cool seasons that you have uh, in stock there at Big Oak Nursery in Elk Grove. And peas lead the way. And there's all sorts of great edible pea varieties, aren't there? Yeah, we carry the super sugar snap um, snap peas, the Oregon sugar pod, um, Chinese snow pea and the California black eyed uh, southern pea. Do they need staking? Um, if they get big enough, yes, um, I would suggest to stake them. Let's talk about some of the vegetables you can grow in the backyard that have that tongue-twisting word of crucifixorous, a crucifix, uh, <laughs> uh, flowering head vegetables, the, the, the broccolis, the cauliflower, and more. Let's talk about uh, some of the varieties and how to grow, let's say, broccoli. Um, broccoli is super healthy. It's a superfood, so you probably should at least grow a few heads in your garden along with the cauliflower. Um, I like to put them together. We have an interesting one called Veronica. That is a cross between the broccoli and cauliflower, and it looks like an alien head. It's got <laughs> these little spiny things, and my kids love to grow it because it turns out really cool, and they think it's so awesome to watch it grow. Um, and there's also the cheddar cauliflower that's bright orange, um, and they love to watch that one grow too because it's it's different than your typical vegetables. <laughs> One of the growing popular vegetable sectors uh, for the home garden are Asian vegetables. What do you have in that regard? Um, we have the Mizuna mustard. Um, you can use it like a salad, add it to your salads, or you can cook it like spinach. Um, it's mild and tasty. Uh, we also have the pak choys. Um, we have a white one that is more for home gardens. Um, it's good when it's young and a fresh salad. One of the healthiest crops you can grow during the cool months of the year from basically now through really next May are all the loose leaf lettuce varieties or the romaine type that uh, do well here. Much better than the heading type lettuces as far as nutrition and flavor. What do you have in the way of loose leaf lettuce varieties? Well, that's one of my favorites because I love driving down Salinas Valley and seeing all the different colors that are growing. You got, have your really dark uh, loose leaf lettuces and then the bright green ones. Um, so I like to mix them all up and have lines of each color. Um, so we have a red salad bowl, but also a green salad bowl, which is just your loose um, oak lettuce leaves that um, are really bright colored. And then there's a mescaline mix, which is um, a blend of 18 different lettuces, endives, and chicories. And it kind of makes a complete salad in that one type of salad. And, um, of course, your spinach. You always have to have a little extra spinach. And then uh, Swiss chard, which is um, we have the rainbow northern lights that's brightly colored. And it's very, very healthy. And then um, there's just your regular buttered crunch and then the romaine type, um, we have Paris Island. So I like to grow all of them because it's so pretty. And you can also get multiple crops out of them if you go out with your cutting your kitchen shears and cut them off. Um, you know, every once a week or so, you can get a new crop growing. So I like to, and they're also, um, you don't need a lot of space for them. So you can grow them in a wine barrel or in a, you know, small planter. Um, they're very easy to grow. 
Lots of great cool season vegetables can go in the ground now or even in your kitchen windowsill. And you can find a lot of these, if not all of these, at Big Oak Nursery in Elk Grove. Julia, tell us a little bit about Big Oak Nursery. Um, we're located on Grant Line Road, close to Highway 99. Um, just look for the big oak tree. And we also have a little red shed out there that you can see from the road. Um, we've been here since 1992 wholesale. And then we opened our retail area. And um, we've been having a lot of fun growing different things and trying new trees and shrubs. And we have fruit trees and we have perennials and lots of annuals and um, we always like to try new things. So if you have any ideas for us, always let us know because we'll go out there and look for them. <laughs> 10071 Grantline Road in Elk Grove online at bigoaknursery.com. Julia Oldfield, Big Oak Nursery. Thanks for a few minutes of your time and telling us more about cool season vegetables. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE.